Hey there, streakers. How are you doing? Hopefully having a fantastic Sunday. That's right. Sunday, October 8th. And I just want to let you know, it's been a little while since I've been on the podcast. And that's because I had a very busy travel week, which meant that I didn't get a lot of record time. However, I recorded yesterday and was ready to publish and everything. And when I went to put it into the editor and I I had downloaded, because I, I use Riverside FM to record everything, I downloaded it, uploaded it into just the audio uh, program that I use to edit everything as far as audio is concerned. No audio. <laughs> Zero audio. I was like, what in the world just happened? I realized that I did not do my technical checks. And I relied on what was rather than going in and deliberately and intentionally checking to make sure that all the sound was working the way that it should, and it wasn't. And therefore, I recorded yesterday only video. Couldn't hear a thing. So if you could read lips or be able to be able to decipher somehow the sound, you would have been able to quote unquote listen to the podcast. However, didn't happen yesterday. So that means I'm recording today. I'm going to uh, share with you the behind the scenes look into a keynote. I spoke this week at AFPM, their summit. There was about 1,300 people that were there. It was a fantastic summit. Really enjoy the folks there. They're, they're individuals that are just highly intelligent, uh, trained in petrochemicals, fuel, and a lot of chemical engineers, uh, some mechanical engineers. Also, mm, I, I don't know if there's any civil engineers there, but electrical engineers definitely as well fantastic people. What a wonderful conference. And for me to be able to speak at it was a privilege and an opportunity to really meet some great people. This is Jeff Downs. This is a Streaking Podcast. And I'll be just, again, sharing with you today a little bit about the behind the scenes look. Have you ever wondered what goes into a keynote? This one was an hour long and they had asked me to speak about three months ago after I had spoken at one of their smaller conferences, about two, 300 people. Um, basically, that was the audition. And once I passed the audition, then I was able to go on the main stage at their summit. A lot of fun. However, it was an interesting experience. There was a couple of things that I was unprepared for. And that <laughs> it kind of threw me for a little bit of a loop. So I'm going to go into that and talk a lot about what is behind the scenes. I hope that you enjoy it. Let's start streaking. What is streaking and why should you do it? Streaking is how you set up personal winning streaks. Look at who you want to be and what you need to do to become that person. This is Streaking. I'm Jeff. And I'm Jamie. And we are streakers. Through 30 years of marriage and seven children, we have learned the power of consecutive consistency or streaking. To start streaking is simple. You just follow these three laws. Make it laughably simple. Keep a record and join the streaking community. Streaking is your hidden superpower. With it, you will consistently progress and grow in whatever area of life you want. In this podcast, Jeff and I will share all the fun, exciting, serious, solemn, wonderful parts of family, spiritual, professional, and personal life and how streaking powers it all. So join us in the conversation, join the movement, and start streaking today. So... The whole um, AFPM conference uh, was manufacturers of fuel and petrochemical that come together and share best practices. Had the opportunity to speak at their HR conference or their people leader conference about three months ago. And after that was asked to come to the main stage. 
Now, in preparation for any keynote, there's a lot that happens behind the scenes that you may or may not know. And I'll tell you my process of how I prepare for it. And I'll also share with you in this one how I got surprised by the person who was speaking before me. The person who was speaking before me, I'm going to go into their pedigree, their list of accomplishments, and I'll share with you some of the things that I was thinking as I was listening to this particular individual speak. Before we get there, though, let's go into a little bit that happens before I actually speak on stage. As I prepare for any keynote, the first thing that I do is I learn a little bit about what it is that they do for a living and also who, what's the tenor of the audience that will be there. So I do a couple of different pre-calls with the people who've hired me asking about who the audience is, what are some of the things that they do, what, uh, how long the, ten- the tenure of those who will be in the audience are. This all gives me indications as to who the audience is so that I can deliver a message that applies to them, that is specifically for them. Then, as we get closer to the conference, I will start to prepare in a more, I, I don't know if I would say, I guess the way is formal for me, but it's not like I'm writing a whole bunch down. What starts to happen is I've researched the audience, and so I start to think about what stories might apply to them that I could use to illustrate any given point. Now, at this conference, they wanted me to speak on today's leader and what it takes to be today's leader. And that, that was the broad topic. And so from that, I started to look at, okay, what is, what is today's leader? What, does it, what is it that they face? And how is it that the principles that I teach and that are taught, uh, that, that I teach in streaking and that we teach from Franklin Covey, what are the principles that might apply? So I start to roll around in my head, what are some of the things that are applied? Now, I don't have any particular formal structure to the keynote just yet. Because I had spoken to AFPM before, I did know a little bit where I was going because they wanted pretty much the same. So there wasn't necessarily anything that I had to research more than what I did. However, I did want to tweak a few things. So I was talking with Jamie about this, and this one I was particularly anxious about simply for the reason that I wanted to convey a point that would hopefully be persuasive and thought-provoking and get the people who were in the audience motivated to adopt not only streaking, but also to apply the principles of trust. Because that's really what they needed on both sides was consecutive consistency and trust. And I was talking to Jamie about this, and I told her I was pretty anxious for this one. Big audience, real opportunity. I, I enjoyed the people. I wanted to make sure and deliver a message that was educational, also entertaining, energizing, enthusiastic, thought-provoking, and persuasive. As I got closer to the conference, then that's where I really start to formulate in my head the order of events. But as I was talking with Jamie, she asked me, you know, when you're on stage and you're up there, how do you choose what it is you're going to say? Because the reason she asked that is I don't always come to a firm conclusion as to every story that I'm going to tell to illustrate points. And as she and I were talking about it, she says, so do you have like a playlist in your head of different stories you could tell and you pick them out in the moment? 
And I realized at that moment, I'm like, yeah, it's a lot that way. In fact, she and I talk about how I, as a DJ, will build a playlist of songs. And after I've built that playlist of songs, I'll read the crowd as to what song to play next. Yes, DJ, it's a hobby. In the past, I've been paid for it, but mainly now it's a hobby. Been doing it for 25 years, have most of the equipment. I would really like a great big light package that I haven't quite invested in yet, but sound package, got that all taken care of. As I build this playlist, whether it be for a wedding or for a dance, uh, I just did a reunion, any of those things, I'll build a full playlist based on the information that I get from the people who have asked me to be the DJ. I'll build that playlist, and then when I get there, I will start to play the songs that I, I call them burner songs, that are just up front, that really everyone that's, if it, and let's say it's at a dance, that you listen to, but it's not really dance to. The energy doesn't get going. It's a lot like a wave that's starting to build. And as I play the music, this wave starts to build, and the idea is to get the individuals who are in on the dance floor energized to the point where they overcome some of the natural tentativeness and shyness from dancing and get to a place where they're fine dancing and doing whatever. Well, you could do that through the music and through which songs you play, the tempo at which you play, and when you play particular songs that are popular, that a lot of people know and listen to. The other thing that I do is never repeat. You never repeat a song in the DJ dance. Now, that was a whole bunch of information just to say to you that when I'm doing a keynote, similarly, I put together a playlist of different stories that I can tell in order to emphasize a point. Once I have that playlist together and I get closer to the actual keynote, I'll start to think about it and I will put some structure behind it. Even with dances, I'll put structure behind. I know that there's certain songs that you play up front and that you don't play in the middle of the dance. Similarly, I'll do the same thing with a keynote. I'll start thinking of what are the stories, what are the jokes, what are the different things that I'll play up front that get the crowd, the audience warmed up and moving forward so that then we can get into the main meat of the, of the keynote and deliver something that will be impactful to them that they'll be able to take and do something with. Night before. Okay, so this has been weeks in the preparation, been thinking about this. Now it's the night before. I will test out a few things out loud. However, I do not go through the entire keynote out loud. What I've found is it's this weird feedback loop for me. If I start saying the keynote out loud, it's at the same moment I'm evaluating what I'm saying. And so I'll hear what I'm saying, evaluate what I'm saying, and it causes this feedback loop that prevents me from really going through and talking through the entire keynote. I'll try out a couple of phrases here and there. I'll try introductions at the beginning, what will happen with introducing some of the stories, but I will not go through the entire keynote or the stories that I'm going to tell because if you've ever stood in front of a speaker when you're trying to speak on a microphone and that speaker gives you the feedback, that ear piercing, that screech, that's what it's like when I'm trying to practice and doing it while listening to myself. It just gets, it gets way, too, way too hard. So what I'll, one of the things that happens to me is as I think about the keynote, I'll start to get anxiety. 
about how I'm delivering it and worst case scenarios start to pop up in my brain. And I'll look at those worst case scenarios, but I continue to, what happens is self-doubt starts to sneak in and I start to think that, you know, what if nobody likes this message? And what I find is that I start to focus on me rather than on the message and on the audience. And so there's a series of breathing exercises that I'll do in order to calm down and to excuse myself from thinking about anything that has to do with the keynote. Now, this is the the night before. I'm trying to get a good night's rest. And therefore, I'll totally shelve the keynote and, and breathe and have breathing exercises until I fall asleep. Now, on this particular keynote, I woke up at 2 a.m. And I could just feel the weight of it because the subconscious mind never stops thinking about it. It keeps right on going. If you've ever done it before where you've prepared for something, you know that your subconscious keeps working even when you've gone to sleep. Well, I woke up and it was no longer in the subconscious. It was in my conscious mind at 2 a.m. And I thought, I need just a few more hours of sleep before I get up. So that's where I lay straight on my back. And I start to breathe deeply, way deep down into my diaphragm, clear my mind, give myself permission to let go of the keynote, give myself permission to feel that it's already done and you're okay. It took me about 45 minutes of this relaxation technique to finally get back to sleep. Woke up at 5 a.m. And honestly, on the morning of the keynote, that's usually when I, I, I mean, I follow through with my streaks. I went uh, down to the treadmill, did a mile. Uh, actually, I did. Th- I think I did three miles of a run, and uh, did the rest of my streaks. The rest of my physical streaks, squats. Sit, uh, no, I don't do so. Squats, plank. I hate sit-ups. That's why I don't do them. But squats, plank, uh, walk on all four, um, and do maybe a couple of other exercises. And then I'll go up, get ready. After I've gotten ready, so I've I've cooled down. I've gotten ready. And now uh, the keynote is about a, a few hours away. This is where I'll take the opportunity to sit down and visualize from start to finish the entire keynote. I won't pause. I'll go through the whole thing, but not out loud. I close my eyes. I visualize myself on stage delivering the entire message. A little note. I have found for myself that if I can nail the beginning and I know what the ending is, in between is where I can mess with the playlist and change songs or stories in and out. I know for the most part what stories I'm going to tell based on all of the research that I've done and the audience that I've talked to. And now I'm visualizing myself telling it all and putting it all together. That will take me the length of the keynote. So if it's 60 minutes, 60 minutes, if it's 90, 90, or 120, whatever it is, usually not, I don't do longer than a two-hour keynote. Once I visualize the entire thing, then I'll head to where the venue is. I'm usually staying in the place where I'm delivering the keynote. This happened to be the Gaylord Texan uh, down in Dallas, Fort Worth area, and it it's a massive property, 53 acres indoors. 4,700 or more employees, you know, several restaurants. They have a, their own security staff inside. It's a beautiful river walk. I mean, this if you've never been to one of the Gaylord properties owned by Marriott now, they're absolutely beautiful. And they're huge. The night before, I forgot to tell you this too, 
one of the other things I'll do is I'll go to the place where I'm actually going to be delivering and just scout it out, see what it looks like. And when I went into the ballrooms that have been combined together where the keynote was going to be delivered, there were chairs up front. I don't know how many, probably 800 chairs up front. And then behind were a whole series of tables. And that was all there. So I looked at it. They had two huge screens up front. The other thing that I did for this one that I've actually now started to adopt quite a bit is no slides. We are inundated with slides and people are looking at slides all the time. And it and what I've found is when you put a slide up there, then what happens to the keynote is it becomes somewhat rote. It's like next slide, next slide, next slide. Have you ever heard that? In fact, that's one of my little pet peeves is when someone else is controlling the slide deck and they're like, okay, go ahead and go to the next slide. Hate that with a capital H. What I wanted to do, though, is have a conversation with the audience. And that conversation was one that I did not want to be prompted by a slide or have all of my notes on the slide. So I didn't. What that did is the two big screens that were on the right and the left, that meant that my mugshot was up there, uh, pretty large for everyone to see, which I appreciated because it allowed me to have a, a conversation with the audience, whereas... If it was just me, the stage was far away. It was little tiny. I mean, you could barely see the speaker that was up there. And if you could barely see the speaker, then on the screens were the slides. You weren't really having a conversation with them. More what you were doing was watching a a video presentation, for lack of better words. So this one, I wanted to have a conversation with them. Saw what it was, that the whole setup was. And again, now had visualized, so back, fast forward again, back to the morning, had visualized everything, went down into where the keynote would be, set my stuff to the side. And this is one thing everyone always asks me, well, do you want something to eat? I never eat before a keynote. I'll have bottles of water, keep the voice lubricated. But before I go on stage, never eat. It's just, I'm not, I, I, I do not want to take in any substance that may, for any involuntary, involuntary reason, come back up. And so I don't do that. Sat down. The other thing that I want to do is I want to focus on who's in the audience. So now I'm starting to mingle with the people who are there and learning how long have they been in the industry? What are their families like? What is it that they do? What are some of the hobbies they have? This all plays into the conversation that I'm going to have with the entire audience because for the most part, birds of a feather flock together. And if I can get to know two or three of the people and hear their stories and what they've done and why they're in the industry, that then gives me the opportunity to do a better job of having a conversation with them regarding what needs to happen. Now, everything going along smoothly, the conference starts. Great big sound system, music blaring everywhere. Their president, who is Chet, gets up, does a great introduction to the conference, and then gives out two lifetime uh, achievement awards to two individuals, which, by the way, their acceptance speech, probably some of the best acceptance speeches I've ever heard. I mean, one of them brought me to tears as far as what he was conveying in regards to, to, to really accepting this lifetime service award, what it was he was doing for AFPM and how he did it. I was just, I was blown away, highly impressed. Now comes the time after the Lifetime Service Awards where the first speaker is coming up to stage. Now, 
the first speaker that is <laughs> that is coming up to stage, I did not realize just how significant this would be. It, it took it literally did take me by surprise when when he got up there and started to speak. I was blown away. Not, and and, well, let me tell you what, I'm getting ahead of myself. What I want to do is I'm going to read to you what was read before he got up to speak. Now, remember, he's speaking just before me, and then I'm speaking. His name is Vivek Wadwa, and this is how they start. Called Silicon Valley's most provocative voice for his ideas on technology trends, globalization, U.S. competitiveness, and the future, Vivek Wadwa's work puts him at the heart of where innovations, technology and otherwise, are being developed that will change the very way that we work and live. So that's how it started. And then they got a little bit more into, because they weren't done. (laughs) The bio was not done. From tech entrepreneur and business owner to accomplished academic and widely published writer, Vivek Wadwa is an innovative is an innovation agent who leads research at Singular University, an institution that educates a select group of leaders about the exponentially growing technologies that are going that are soon going to change our world. He also teaches on the impact of these technologies at Duke University's Pratt School of Engineering, Carnegie Mellon University's College of Engineering, and Stanford Law School. The advances he discusses in fields such as robotics, AI, computing, synthetic biology, 3D printing, medicine, and nanomaterials are making it possible for small teams to do what was once possible only for governments and large copper corporations to do, solve the grand challenges in education, water, food, shelter, health, and security. Wadwa is a syndicated columnist for the Washington Post and a regular contributor to the Wall Street Journal, the Huffington Post, and Venture Beast. Wadwa shares with his audiences how technology will transform our world, disrupt entire industries, and create new ones. As an observer and researcher on the trends of shaping globalization and innovation around the world, Wadwa also shows the keys to having the U.S. remain competitive in the face of rapid transformation shaping businesses in India, China, Latin America. He's the author of Innovating Women, The Changing Face of Technology, and Immigrant Exodus, Why America is Losing the Global Race to Capture Entrepreneurial Talent, as well as others. I mean, he had two more books that he had already written, and he was advertising up there. But here's, here's the thing. So this is the, the bio that's read for Vivek Wadwa. And I'm sitting there listening to this, and I'm like, huh. Here's an individual that's being introduced that has a list of accomplishments and a lifetime of work that is more significant than I've ever been involved with. And I'm speaking after him. Then he gets up and starts speaking. And I'm going to tell you right now, I have never heard a more brash, arrogant speaker in my life. He may have the background to back it up, but when he got up and started speaking... He started to talk about, like what it said in his bio, all the things that are going to happen in the next 10 years, stating them as if they are fact. And in such a bold, brash way, I was completely just amazed that someone would speak with that much arrogance. Now, I do not know Vivek, and this may be his speaking persona. I have no idea who he is, no idea what... 
you know, what he is as a person. I was, I'm just telling you from a person in the audience, what I was hearing and seeing. And I was amazed. I was absolutely astonished that someone would speak with as much bravado as he was speaking, especially in a place where there were a whole bunch of PhD chemists, chemical engineers, people that were really moving and shaping the world in this profession that is at the heartbeat of all economies. And that is basically oil production. What happens with oil processing and the petrochemical industry. Again, I was blown away. And he just went on and on. Threaded through his talk was everything about artificial intelligence and how artificial intelligence is now at the heart of changing the world. And that everything that is going to be happening, for example, he was talking about robots in your house. That's going to happen. You're going to have robot maids that help you. And he'd show a clip of the Jeffersons and uh, and show, or the Jetsons, excuse me, not the Jeffersons, but the Jetsons and how they had the robot. He, um, he showed, you know, a clip of the bionic man and how that we would have all of that. And that would all happen in the next 10 years. And he, he was just so sure. And his bravado was so loud. It was, it was overwhelming. He keeps going for about 30 minutes talking about all these things and also somewhat, I guess, I would look at it, you know, you talk about him being a provocateur. He was, a, he was almost offensive, I would say offensive to this group of people um, simply for the reason that, you know, oil, a lot of times oil and capitalism are the big evils of the world. And here we are talking to this group, or he's talking to this group that are all about oil and capitalism, and he is completely offending them. In fact, there were several people that were getting up and walking out. I was, again, completely amazed by this. However, throughout and weaved throughout what he was talking about was this idea of AI and how AI is going to change everything and how it was going to be critical that people not only embraced AI, but used it to help solve the world's problems. Now he's about 30, 35 minutes in and he comes to a full stop, complete pause. And he says, now I need to tell you a personal story. He talks about how his wife had died basically six years ago. And when she died, he said, my life pretty much ended at that moment in time. I felt like my world was over, is what he said. She was my everything. And he said, I wouldn't leave the house. I didn't go get food. I was pretty much done as well. And she had died of cancer. So he tells this story. And then he said, in about three, four months after she had died, I decided I'm going to cure cancer. And, that, and then he went on to tell us, about what he is doing to cure cancer. This, and I, I, I just thought to myself, wow, here is an individual that's, that had a significant experience and now is going to put all of his smarts and expertise into curing cancer and has proclaimed right here now that he is going to cure cancer. And I just thought about all of the different industries that have been working at curing cancer for years and years and years and years. And his boldness and brashness to say, I'm going to do it. And then he talks to us about this desktop unit that uses 
light spectrum analysis to be able to analyze blood, to be able to tell what abnormalities are in it so that you can catch cancer early. And I was also amazed that he took an opportunity to take a jab at the whole whole U.S. healthcare system and basically indicted every provider of healthcare and pharma company as wanting to keep people sick. So again, <laughs> this is all happening. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm following this guy. I'm going to be up there next. What is it that I'm going to do in order to have the message that I'm sharing have any type of impact? And this is where, and today's Sunday, it's October 8th right now. Um, I'm thinking to myself, I'm saying prayers. I mean, I'm praying. I'm asking God. I'm saying, okay, how do I do this? How do I bridge between what he's saying, solving all the world's problem, and what I'm going to be saying, which is on leadership in this in at this point in time? Thinking, 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 nothing coming to mind. But I did feel one thing very significantly. And that was, as I was praying and a little bit worried about following this individual, I thought maybe he should be following me and wrapping up this whole thing. But as I was praying about it, the first thought that I had is, remember, Jeff, this is not about you. This is about the people who are in the audience and what you can give them that will help to accomplish whatever they desire to accomplish. And when I was thinking through that, the second thing that I felt is, it will be okay. And I felt complete peace. I felt like, you know what? Everything's going to be okay. I had no idea what I was going to do to bridge the gap, but I did feel that it was going to be okay. He finishes his remarks and then he goes into a Q&A. During the Q&A, I'd say about another 100 to 200 people walked out. <laughs> so if he, if his if his on-stage persona is to provoke a reaction, he definitely did that. What I look at though is if people are walking out, they're not really hearing your message and you don't have the opportunity to persuade them otherwise. Finished the Q&A, one of the great questions that was asked that I was impressed with is and a gentleman stood up and he asked the question by prefacing it. He said, first of all, hey, 25 years ago, I attended a similar conference where predictions were made that in the next 10 years, everything that you have said, they said would have happened. And none of those things have really happened to any type of extreme. And then he said, what are you saying is the difference? And Vivek said, it's AI. AI is going to help to bring about all of these changes. And then he talked about the differences in AI between weak AI and relational, relational AI and how that's going to impact all of our lives. And you know what? Actually, I've played around with AI, looked at ChatGPT, and find some really good, valuable help that it gives. I mean, you want to spark an idea. You want to think about how to consider things differently, plug in a series of phrases into ChatGPT and see what it returns. It will give you some ideas and creative thinking. I don't trust any of the stats that it comes back with. I'll always validate, if, I, if ever I use anything from it, I'll always validate the stats. But for the most part, it comes up with some, you know, you get some really creative stuff. So he finished his Q&A. You know, all these people had walked out Chet, who's the president, then gets up to introduce me. 
And as he's introducing, I'm walking to the stage because I've got to be right on stage as soon as he's done with the introduction. He goes through a very small introduction, talks about, you know, that I do consulting for the top 500, uh, Fortune 500 companies, and that I've been at it for a long time, written a book, just, just a short, nothing compared to what Vivek had, just short, brief, to the point. He's going to talk to us about how um, small, simple, conscious acts bring about the best in people and leadership. Ladies and gentlemen, Jeff Downs. As I'm walking up the stairs to get on stage, it hits me on how I'm going to address and bridge the gap from what Vivek said to now what needs to be said. And this is how it happened. Well, thank you, everyone. I appreciate the opportunity to be here with you today. You know, wow. Can you believe what Vivek said? All of those things happening and how AI is going to be threaded through it. He said, And I said, I was just blown away. I don't know if you were, but I was blown away with what could be happening in the next 10 years. Now, as I listened to what Vivek said, I noticed that every time he mentioned AI, he also mentioned that it was going to take the creativity, collaboration, the expertise of you in this room to make this happen. And as I thought to myself, what is it that he's really saying? It came to me that he is talking about AI being powered by HI, which is human intelligence that requires leadership to unleash the creativity of these ambitious, talented people in order to really power what's going to solve the world's problems. And without HI, we're never going to get there. And how do you unleash HI? It's through leader intelligence and how you as a leader are able to unlock the massive potential that exists in every single person. That's what's going to solve the world's problems. AI is going to help, but the only way that it can do it is through you, your creativity, and your ability to unlock the potential that exists in every person to be great, phenomenal, intelligent beyond means. To unlock human intelligence, that's what I'm going to be talking to you about today. So to get that started, I'd first of all like to have everyone stand up and stretch. Breathe in. Let's, let's really get an opportunity to reset onto how it is that as a leader, you can unlock human intelligence. So that's how I started. And from there, it was just a great conversation with the audience about building trust with the people who you lead using Stephen M. R. Covey's The Four Cores of Credibility, which are written in the speed of trust. And it's really that when you're building trust, trust is the leadership component that everyone needs today in order to unlock and unleash creativity, uh, to unleash cl collaboration, to solve these big problems. And how do you do that? I had them each think about a leader that had influenced their lives and then talk with the person next to them, do a little bit of networking about what were the attributes, characteristics, what was it about that leader that influenced you in your life? They, I gave them about two minutes to talk with each other about those particular attributes. And then from there, I 
because I couldn't take a whole bunch of feedback, I mean, this was a very large crowd. We had a lot of the people had come back in. They had closed the doors in the back, and we were having now this great conversation. But I, I couldn't, because of the constraint, the constraints of time, I, I really couldn't get into some of the answers they had, which is sometimes what I really like to do. But I took a guess at what it was that they had considered this, what was the great leader, and what did that great leader do? And the great leader, I said, I'll bet one of these three or four things you wrote down or talked about. I said, probably this leader challenged you in a way that you had not been challenged before. And in fact, if you're listening to this podcast right now, think about it. Think about a leader in your life that has influenced you. And I'll bet you they were at a critical crossroads where they challenged you to be better than you were. I can think of two leaders in my life that were at that specific moment. I said, I'll bet that that was one of the things that you had talked about. They had the courage necessary to ask you to be better than what you were. Secondly, I'll bet it was a leader that was consistent and they were so consistent that they had credibility. When you looked to them, you knew that they would either be there for you or that they would be consistent in what they espoused. And because of that, that inspired you. I said, third, how about a leader that just loved you unconditionally? No matter what you did, they loved you to the point where you didn't want to let them down. The expectation was such that you wanted to do the very best you possibly could because of who this leader was. When a leader has credibility and the four cores of credibility, which is which are integrity, intent, capability, and results, when a leader has those things, it influences us in a significant way. I then went into... Or, now, in Stephen M. R. Covey's book, In the Speed of Trust, it, he talks about how to build self-credibility, and it really comes down to streaking and doing the things that you said you were going to do, which is what streaking is all about, being so consciously consistent, deliberate, and intentional that you are able to establish this, the, you're able to establish the results, you're able to establish the pattern, you're able to establish the things that will allow people to have confidence in what it is you offer. And you have confidence in yourself. Because if you can't trust yourself, who can you trust? That's really what where trust starts is with self-trust. In uh, Stephen's book, he talks about the, f- the five waves of trust and then the four cores of credibility and building relational trust. And uh, if you haven't read it, go out, read it. It's fantastic. And then think about how you set up streaks to become credible. Now, this is where the playlist starts to come into mind. I'm thinking through my mind, okay, what stories should I tell in order to emphasize what it is that's necessary for them to hear, understand, and be persuaded to give not only trust to try, but also streaking. And there were two particular stories that came to mind. uh, And I I told both these stories. Now, I'm not going to tell those stories here. uh, And not because I couldn't. It's just it would take too long for the and for the constraints of what we have for the podcast, just know that these two stories emphasized the importance of setting a reading streak and also setting a self-reflection streak. Both people who I talked about, one started with very humble means, was a very miserable person, was found a mentor, and that mentor encouraged him to start a reading streak. 
Now, that's not what they called it, but that's what it was. Read every single day. And he said, if you read every day, and he gave him specific books from which he would read, if you read every single day, it'll turn your life around. So that was one story that I told. And then I told another story about uh, the head of a major corporation who had started out in life, not, not I, I mean, he was just, he was a regular person starting out in life, and he was challenged by his father-in-law to do self-reflection every day. And he said, for 41 years, I've done this self-reflection. Every night before I go to bed, I ask myself a series of questions. Did I do what I said I was going to do today? Uh, Did I lead? How did I lead people? How did I follow people? If I had today to do over, what would I do differently? He answers all of these questions. This is every single night. If God gave me tomorrow, what would I take from today and apply tomorrow? And that amount of self-reflection helped propelled him forward. These streaks were what people had. And if you look at any successful person in life, anyone who's achieved anything of, of, of renowned, of note, they are a streaker. They, have, they are a streaker at their core. They do the laughably simple, they record that they've done it, and they share it. I am amazed at how many people this is at their core. And it's hard to believe because we talk about being laughably simple. It's hard to believe that this is really at the core. Went through that, talked all through then how you, how you set up successful winning streaks in your life. And you all know, I mean, the laws of streaking, law number one, make it laughably simple. Law number two, no record, no streak. Law number three, create a community or join a community. I went through that, told the stories behind it, why it's important, why each law is what it is, told the story that I had, you know, how I got involved in streaking, and then ended with the greatest story, which is Cal Ripken Jr., 2,632 games in a row, and talked about the records that were set when he broke Lou Gehrig's record of 2,130 days, with, or games, to 2,131 games, how the record that was broken was not only the longest streak, but also the longest spontaneous standing ovation in history, in sports athletics history, 22 minutes, they would not sit down. And why? Because he was consistent. That's what people want in a leader. And that then can put you at the crossroads when someone is making a a, a critical decision. You can challenge them. You have courage. You have the opportunity to help them in a way that they otherwise couldn't be. This is what leaders do. And so I have a question for you. Or uh, I have a thought and a question. Here's the thought. In several years, when I'm still presenting on streaking and talking about how significant it is and how important it is to another group of leaders, young emerging leaders, and I ask them to think about what leader influenced them and what was it about them, they'll be thinking about you and your consistency and what you do. So the only question I have for you is, do you want to start streaking with me? And that's where I ended. After a keynote, like I told you, I'm giving you the behind the scenes. After a keynote, usually people will come up and I love to chat with them. If they want to ask further questions or talk a little bit more about it, I'll sign some books. Uh, Those will come up. I'll sign some books. But for the most part, we have really good conversations. And there will usually be about 10 or 12 people who I'll speak with afterward in a group that large, not everyone comes up and talks and some do that want to find out a little bit more. After that, 
get a drink of water. This one I stayed for lunch and had a conversation with some more people and really enjoyed it. Went to the airport. Now I'll give you the behind the scenes. Once I'm done with the keynote and I come down, the energy is now sapped. It's used. I use it all on stage. I leave nothing uh, on the table. Everything goes out there. Everything that I could possibly do. And so when I get to the airport, I'm just a puddle. And will, for the most part, on the airplane sleep. Because I, I've spent everything. That's the behind the scenes look at a keynote. I wonder, I hope that you enjoyed it. It was fun to relive it and tell you about it. I look forward to doing more. It's going to be a lot of fun. If you have any questions, you know where to get answers. And that's email me at Jeffrey, J-E-F-F-E-R-Y, at thestreakingapp.com. Or you can buy the book at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, anywhere books are sold. That book is available as well in hardback as well as in Audible and ebook. Also, if you want to really learn about streaking and apply its principles, download the streaking app. You can do it at the Apple App Store or at Google Play. It's available on all devices. And it's a place where you can, this is one of the things I talked about in the keynote, you can go and celebrate with people what it is they're doing on their streaks. I'm just so impressed with the number of people on the app that share with us, are vulnerable with everyone and share the amazing things that they're doing. Download the app, see where that's at. And if, I'd like to invite you to do something, if you don't mind. I'd like to invite you to review the app and give it a rating. Review the book, give it a rating, and subscribe to this podcast. Don't have to do all three. If you pick just one, review the app and give it a rating. What this does is allow more people the opportunity to be introduced to the principles and the power of streaking, which then helps them achieve their great purposes. So if you wouldn't mind, give it a review. Ask your friends to give it a review. Pass it along. That would be fantastic. Until we talk again, keep streaking. better